the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. Um, this chapter is, is uh, you know, this is the story about the other side of Eden, uh, a story about life and death, a story about two brothers, and a story about God. Uh, you know, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we read of the fall of mankind. Um, when, you, when you hear that term, the fall of mankind, it, it simply means the original status of the human race was perfect in all areas, perfect in our relationship with God, perfect with one another, perfect with earth and creation. Uh, perfection is God's standard. So when man fell by disobeying God's word, he lost that perfection. So whenever you hear that term, the fall of man, he lost that perfection. And of course, the Bible goes on and refers to that as sin. Sin is missing the mark. If you had a bullseye and you hit the, the middle portion of that bullseye, you would say, perfect. But all of us miss the bullseye. <laughs> so, so we all fall short of the glory of God. For the Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we all miss the mark. And so we all sin. And the, and the result of sin, is there's a penalty. And it's death in this life. And then there's a spiritual death as well, eternal hell. And so and that's why Jesus Christ came for us. But that's the whole idea of a fallen state. So, you know, when you, when you read there in, in chapter 3 that man fell, he, met, he fell from perfection. Uh, the biblical terminology of sin within the biblical context suggests that sin has three aspects to it. Disobedience to or breach of law, a violation of relationship with people, and rebellion against God. So those three areas really speak of how we can sin. Jesus summed it up in two great commandments. He said, love God with all your heart, might, and soul, and love your neighbor. You know, And so those two cover the whole 10 commandments. Uh, if you're loving your neighbor, you're not going to you know, steal from him, or you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to do idolatry because you're loving God with all your heart, might, and soul. So that encompasses the whole moral law. That's the standard. So we've all fallen short of that standard, and we all need rescuing. Sin is tragic because it represents a fall from a high uh, original status of humankind. Uh, sin ultimately involves a raw com confrontation between obedience and rebellion. So we see that. In science, uh, the cause explains why something happens. The effect is the description of what happened. Chapter 3, we see the cause, sin. In chapter 4, which we're going to read this morning, is the effects of sin. And boy, it is the effect. Um, when you open up the newspaper today, you're going to go, oh, we, we're reading the same thing that's happening here in chapter 4 of Genesis. The same sin, the same depravity, the same darkness. Uh, and the thing about it is that as men began to populate the earth, but it, sin also as well, and it becomes even uh, scarier in the sense of the depravity and the sickness of men. Uh, in fact, in chapter 6, when we get there, you're going to read that men continually thought of sin, uh, continually evil things towards their brother and sister. Think about what we do, not us, but as human beings, what we do towards one another and how easily and readily we kill one another for the most simplest of things, religion, race, you know, um, argument, pride. You almost hit me with your car. Now I want to beat you. What? You know, that, you know I, I, that's just, you know, um, any close calls with my car, you know, and the guys are honking their horn and, you know, giving me, you know, attitude, 
I just smile and say, sorry, you know, because, you know, what's the next step? The next step is, okay, pride, next step, you get, and then we get in each other, and now we're wrestling, and what's the ne- you, you could kill each other, and you see that, the depravity of men in, in the wickedest of forms in all areas. It, it's, it's profound, but it begins here in chapter 4. So let's pray, and then we'll dive right into it. Father, we thank you again for your word and how you, be, how you bring clarity to every circumstance and situation, Lord. And Lord, here in chapter 4, we get to see the effects of sin, Lord, and it must have just broke your heart when you saw how depraved man became. And, and Lord, uh, but you never left us without a redemptive plan. You thought of saving mankind even from the beginning that we read there in chapter 3 of Genesis and that God in human flesh, Jesus, would come and pay for our sins and give us the rights to come into heaven through his perfection. And, and Lord, we look for that day, Lord. In fact, we're like John that says, come now, Lord Jesus, come now, you know, Lord. And it just seems to be getting worse every day. And as we scroll through the internet and read the paper, it's, it is the end times as we've seen the sin effect take place in a most grotesque way. And, and, in, and it seems like in every arena of life, Lord, and, and some things are so shameful and, and embarrassing to even talk about. And, and Lord, we do need your redemption. We, de- we need you to come and save us, Lord. Lord, keep us on, on, the, on, on the straight and narrow Help us to deal with our own sins and our own imperfections, Lord, that we might be able to help out others as well, Lord. Help us to obey your words, love you with all our hearts, might, and soul, and to love our neighbors, Lord. We need your power to do that, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1 begins in Genesis chapter 4. It says this, Adam laid with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So a new life began here. Eve, like millions of daughters to follow, must have been excited about a baby growing in her womb. Remember that they were created. They didn't see the birth. They didn't know anything about it, I'm sure, with their intelligent minds. They understood it, but they never experienced it. So for the, for the very first time, you know, here's Adam feeling the baby kick in the womb of Eve, you know, and getting excited about that and putting his ears to her stomach and hearing the heartbeat go, you know, just, uh, I remember when I had, you know, I didn't, my wife had Brianna in her stomach and, and we went to the, the doctors to see her growth rate. And they put it up on the screen, her heartbeat, and it went, and I was like, is that normal? Is that normal? You know, and, and they go, yeah, that's normal for a little baby. And, 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 you know, and tears started coming down my eyes, and then the fear factor came in me. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I got to get a job. I, I got to get, get a new life. I got to clean up my act, you know. And, and, and Heather, you know, she's always stable. She says, calm down, Piper. You're going to be fine, you know. God's going to do his work, you know. And I mean, I got, I was a wreck, you know, and hearing that, heartbeat, you know, and just finding so much pleasure and so much joy. And I can imagine uh, Adam and Eve in this first stage, you know, and then one day the wait is over. Eve gives birth to the first baby born into this world. Eve was the first woman to experience the pain of childbirth. And on the heels of the experience, she was the first to experience the joy of holding in her arms a newborn baby. When Brianna, my daughter, was born, you know, I was right next to my wife, and um, and I told my wife earlier, you know, in uh, a month before, I said, "Listen, I I don't need to cut the the cord. I don't need to do any of that bloody stuff. That's the doctor. I'm a gardener. I don't need to, you know, don't give me any of that kind of stuff, you know." And and she's like, "Okay, okay, hon, you don't have to do anything." And I remember I was just standing right there watching my wife trying to help her out through this, you know, breathe, almost out, almost out, and the baby comes out, and the nurse hands me the scissors and goes, "All right, cut it." And I'm like, "What? What, man? My, you know?" And I'm like, "What kind of mess?" that I get in here, man. 
I cut the cord, and then they carry her. They go, come on, you want to see? And I go, yeah. And I'm just walking up to the tray, and they weigh her, and they put this stuff on her eye. And, you know, and, I'm, and then they throw the baby on me. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What are you doing? You know, and you give me this little baby, my responsibility now. And then they give her to her mom, and then that, that uniting factor of putting the baby on the chest and becoming one. Oh, it's so overwhelming, so full of joy in my soul. And, and I can imagine Adam and Eve at this stage in their life seeing this newborn baby and experiencing this great wonder. In fact, Eve gives glory uh, to God for her new baby. She says this, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I wonder if Eve thought about God's promise that the Messiah would come from the woman's seed. I wonder if she was thinking about the Redeemer I've gotten the man from the Lord. I wonder if she's thinking about the seed of the woman, the one who would get us back into the garden. Eve saw this birth as a time of divine blessing in her, in her family, and in the world. You know, as they're growing up, I wonder how many times Adam took the children and put them on his lap and began to tell them about God. You know, I walked with Jesus. I held his hand, we broke bread together, you know, and he's full of love, full of grace, and begin to teach this to his children. Every morning when I wake up, I pray for my family, and when I pray for my daughter, Brianna, I always pray, God, that she might know you. That's my number one prayer, that she might know you, Lord. Give me the ability to teach her about you, God. You know, and, and it, you know, it's so easy to let life pass you up without instructing your loved ones, your little ones about Jesus. And so I tell her about all the stories, you know, and, you know, and, I, and I was telling her about Esther. And, and I said, listen, there's two parts to Esther. Let me tell you the good part first. And she gets married and she's like, tell me the second part, you know. And I'm like, no, you don't want to know that part, you know, because, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the trying to kill the Jews and, you know, Haman and, and Mordecai and that whole story. And so I ended up telling her the second part. She's like, wow, you know, Esther was amazing and, you know, and just an amazing story. But just wanted her to have a glimpse of Jesus. And that's kind of what's happening here. Puts him on his knees and begins to tell him about Jesus. I wonder how many times Eve warned them to listen to the Lord and not give in to the devil, right? As they begin to play and they begin to rough house and do things they're not supposed to do. Hey, don't give in to the ways of the devil. Eve learned that lesson well, now teaching her children those very things. So many lessons to teach our children. Amen. And so let us not give up on those things. In verse 3, it goes on to say this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now notice there, it says... There was a specific time that they were to bring some uh, offering. They were supposed to they were they were to bring something, and then there was an offering to the Lord. So they were taught a specific plan of what to do about an offering to the Lord, a time, what to bring, and then offering it to the Lord. And so here it, it, it's it's very interesting in this particular verse. These verses here, there's an alternating development of the text. It's so rich. Listen to this. Cain's birth, Abel's birth. Now look at it. Switches. Abel's occupation, Cain's occupation. Then it switches Cain's offering, Abel's offering. And then it goes Abel's acceptance, Cain's rejection, Cain's anger, Abel's death. And so we see this whole thing about the offering. And I, I would imagine to us it's obscure, but I think that because of what we read last week when God sacrificed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve. Remember that whole scene? They covered themselves with fig leaves. God said, no, not sufficient. Took the fig leaves away, sacrificed an animal, and covered them with the skin. And of course, I said, I believe that it's a lamb that's being set forth here. The reason why is because later in the future, lambs being spoken of for dying for the 
you know, are paying for their sins as a sin covering. Uh, and when you get into Exodus, and then at the very end, you see John the Baptist pointing at Jesus, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And so I believe God is painting a portrait. And in this portrait is that a lamb would have to be sacrificed for your sins. In fact, uh, Hebrews 9.22 says this, uh, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So I think the picture, the portrait that God was painting here is that there's a lamb that needs to be paid, that there's a lamb that you need to bring and offer to me in faith, in faith. Knowing that somewhere down the line in history, someone's going to have to pay for your sins. But by faith, you're believing it, so you're bringing this sacrifice. And somewhere down the line here, Cain gets off track. And so he, he begins to offer his own vegetables instead of what God had prescribed. By the way, regarding the lamb, here it was one lamb for one man. Later at Passover, it will be one lamb for a family. Then at the Day of Atonement, it was one lamb for a nation. Finally, with Jesus, there was one lamb who took away the sins of the world. I love that because only God can pay for the sins of the world. And you know that everyone would have an opportunity to come to him is done by God. And that's the only way that everybody can have that forgiveness. It was God who came down to the earth and paid for the sins of the world. Now, Cain failed because he's trying to reach God in his own terms, and that's religion. Um, Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as a righteous man, and when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, it still speaks even though he is dead. Listen, he, Abel, brought this offering by faith to God, knowing that it was a portrait of something, that the Messiah would die for their sins. Cain didn't want to do that. We call it religion, coming in his own term. Uh, you know, it, 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 he's coming with his own gifts and saying, you need to listen to me, God, <laughs> you know, like many of us did. Cain's offering said, I know what you said, but here's what I want to give you. Take it or leave it. Cain's offering was an act of false worship that said my way will work just as well as your way. He found out instantly that it didn't work that way because God rejected both Cain and his offering. So many times I, you know, when I'm traveling around the world, they tell me, oh, you can come. There's many roads that lead to heaven, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it leads to heaven, but there's two Ways that you can go, heaven or hell, you know, because there's only one sacrifice that's made for your sins, and that is Jesus Christ. The sin issue, every man and woman has sinned against God. That needs to be paid for. And so Jesus paid for that, and then Jesus gives it to us. He says, listen, let's trade. Give me your sins for my perfection. And so we make that big trade, and now we have his perfection by his blood that was spilled for us. So our sins are forgiven once and for all. If you don't have that, you can't enter heaven. You're going on your own route. And that's religion. And religion does that. Religion is attempting, attempting to reach God by your own merits, your own way. Godliness or Christianity is God reaching to a helpless man. And I love that because that's, that's true. I'm absolutely helpless when it comes to my sins. And it's Jesus who paid for them. So Cain missed this whole mark. And really, uh, there's a, a warning here that we need to heed. God will not accept our religion. He will not accept our works. He will not accept anything we can do to attempt to save ourselves. The only thing God will accept is what he has already provided. He will accept nothing but, but faith in the atoning sacrifice and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here... Cain blows it, brings his own food, says, this is what I want to do. And God says, not acceptable. Listen to verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, going back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It, it makes it look like an animal that's, that's going to drive your soul to do something corrupt here. And so sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and Abel killed him. So with the, you know, uh, just, it's, it's just disgusting is the word. It's, it's hor horrific that he would kill his brother and for the very first time the earth would receive the blood of a human being. And this is the first time but not the last time. And as men began to progress and grow and multiply on the planet earth, so does evil. And evil becomes worse. As putting people in gas chambers and gassing them to death, people murdering, putting them up and machete and, and just cutting them up. It's just so disgusting what the human race can do now. It's, you know, it's, it's quite shocking. But here it is in chapter 4, we see the effects of sin, and it is wild, and it's growing. So here, with ultimate tenderness and concern, the Lord encourages Cain to assess himself. Sin lies at the door. Sin is crouching, a wild beast thirsting for blood. Notice, sin, uh, notice Cain's sin seems to come out of nowhere. Whereas Satan prompt Eve to sin, and Eve prompt Adam, God himself cannot talk Cain out of it. While sin was external to Adam and Eve, it appears to spring up spontaneously from within Cain. It is a wild force in him which he ought to master lest it devours him. Um, the Bible refers to this as a sin nature. In some of your Bibles, it translated, translated the flesh. It translated to the old man. But it's it's, a, it's a, a genetic flaw that has been given to Adam because he rebelled against God. He placed himself under the devil. In fact, that's very clear as we read last week that when Jesus is confronting the religious leaders, he says to them, you are of your father, the devil. And that's shocking because every one of us now come to realization that Everybody that's born places himself under the devil with this sin flaw, this genetic flaw in us called sin nature. And this sin nature, it really, when you, when you put good or perfection here in evil, we have a bent on evil. And that's easily seen when you get angry, by the way. <laughs> I mean, or you get mad or your thoughts, right? It may not show in your actions. You may not kill somebody, but Jesus called it out and says, hey, if you call your brother Raka, fool, you murdered him. Or you looked on a woman to lust or a man to lust, you sinned. So he looks at the intent of the heart and says, boy, we're failures in this area. And you know, in, in Paul, Paul says, man, I kept all the law. And then he goes, but then they showed me covetousness. And I'm like, oh my goodness, who could ever judge the inside of a man's heart? So much ugliness and sin that comes forth. Well, that's the sin nature. And the sin nature now causes us to sin, and the penalty for sin is death. Death in this life, and death in eternal life, spiritually called hell. And so, uh, you know, when, when we talk about this area of death, it's the only reason on planet Earth, the Bible gives us the only reason for death. It's the penalty from God. So here, this sin nature is developed very quickly in the first generation here of Cain. And here he's allowing the sin nature to take hold of him and drive him. And Jesus says, and, and I, I should say, God tells him here, hey, you need to control it. And I, you know, when, when I think of the work of the Old Testament saints and how there were some amazing men and women who did it right, who walked right with God. And you're like, how did they do that? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us who's guiding us and directing us and convicting us, right? They had the Holy Spirit with them, 
That's what the Bible says, right? And Jesus says it in, in John chapter 14, verse 17. The Holy Spirit's with you. And if you come to the acknowledgement that you need him, then he'll live in you. But with you is convicting you of sin. And so here, if you don't, and, and this, is what he, this is what, you know, God says to them. He says, if you don't control it, it's going to overtake you. And it's going to wipe you out. And so, you know, Cain here, it, 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 but you must master it. This is, you know, the you know, rule, govern rule over it, govern it, control it, be in charge, exercise authority over over, have dominion. That is what God is telling Cain to do with sin in his life. Master it, control it, instead of mastering and controlling you. Make it submit to you instead of you submitting to it. Cain is told to make sin submit to him instead of him submitting to sin. Now, the thing about it, Romans chapter 6 tells us that when we give our life to Jesus, that sin, the, the sin nature is powerless now over our lives. And that's beautiful because, you know, that it no longer can drive us. And you're like, well, why do I sin then? And you're like, well, because... We still have the flesh, the memory, the eyesight, the ears of all that time in the flesh, all that time in sin. So it's, it's in our memory banks. And so when something happens, we react according to the old memory. So for instance, you know, someone pulls out in front of you. You're like, ah, oh, you know, my pride kicks in. That guy's just trying to take advantage of me. And now that, that, that old memory comes in and haunts you. And now you sin and it happens with everything. Depending, the, depending on your vice. If you did drugs, hey, Satan doesn't have to work too much to get you back to, into that lifestyle. You know, he, 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 you know, the smell, the aroma, you know, the sight, the, the certain, you, you know by the certain individuals that walk by you, oh yeah, I know, that guy has, you know, some drugs for me, you know, because that's the way, the devil does that. But he doesn't have to do much because it's in there. But now that you, you know, and our flesh remembers it so perfectly. But now that you're born again, the Holy Spirit has given you power to say no to the sin and no to all the effects of it. So you have the ability to say no. So use that ability. And I love it because here it says, you know, Cain is told to make sin submit to him instead of him submitting to sin. Same thing for us. Don't give in to sin, but give in to the Holy Spirit as he's beginning to clean us up on the inside. John, uh, 1 John 3.12 says this, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So you have two guys going two different ways, born in the same household, taught the very same thing, but two guys going in a different direction. And here's Cain. He doesn't have much. He doesn't have a desire for the things of God. Whereas Abel, he's all in. I want to serve the Lord. So first John says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. Listen, Cain's silent when God confronts him. No thanks to God for the warning. No repentance of jealousy. No mending of his ways. A stubborn silence seems to be all he had to offer to God. Cain adds to the ungodliness, envy, hatred, and murder. The sense is that Cain planned to catch uh, Abel by surprise, lulling him with a pleasant conversation, then shows Cain, uh, this shows Cain committed premeditated murder. And so this, this whole realm of sin is out of control. It's, and it just gets darker as men begins to spread. So here it is. Sin taken over man. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? By the way, yes. We're our brother's keeper, right? Paul the apostle said this. He goes, man, I am indebted to the Greeks, to the Jews, to all mankind. I mean, the whole Bible, New Testament, is all about loving one another and helping one another. We are our brother's keeper. It gets me angry when I see things happening around the world, in America, the injustice. I want to do something about it. 
You know, I may not be able to do something about it by myself, but with you all, we can do something about it, right? We can reach, the, uh, we can show love to our neighbors here in Santa Rosa and, and abroad as well, whether it's going or, um, uh, or uh, you know, joining somebody financially. That th- you know, one of my favorite things to do as a missionary is that I was a first responder. So when any uh, earthquakes or any floods or any kind of earthquakes, they would, I got to go with a team to, be, to help. And it was so pleasurable to do that. But it was so, it wrecked my soul when you realize you couldn't do everything for everyone. And it was so, it was, that, was the, that was the most horrific part, is seeing the children who were helpless and hopeless and you couldn't do anything for them. You know, that, that, that wrecks you. And, and so when you come back to America, you know, you have to have counseling to counsel you out of your thoughts and out of your mind because of what you've seen and what you could, how you couldn't respond, you know, because it really has reverse culture shock because typically in America, we're not so worried about things anywhere else. But, you know, when you come back, you're like, what? How come you guys don't see that? You're more worried about your parrot and your dog and your cat. And your, the people are going, dying without food. And, you know, it's a, it, 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 it is. It's, it's, it's so hard, you know. And um, it's funny because uh, they would ask me, hey, Bon, you want to teach this week? And, and my heart's saying, no, because you don't want to get it. You know, because, you know, you come back to America from those kind of environments, you want to tell the American church to wake up. And so you have to hold your tongue, though. Just teach the text. You know, like now, I should just teach the text. <laughs> Anyways, anyways. <laughs> it goes on. He goes, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, we are. But he says, God, you're supposed to be in charge of him. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God questioned Cain as he had Adam and Eve to elicit Cain's admission of sin with a view to, repent, a, a view to repentance, not simply to scold him. His father reluctantly admitted his guilt, but Cain tried to cover it up by lying. Cain was much more hardened than the first human pair. Sin is crouching at the door. And so sin is becoming more intense and it's becoming to take more of the thought and mind process. Verse 11, it says this, Now you are under a curse and driven from, gro- or, or, and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be re- a restless wanderer on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, By punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now watch the grace of the Lord here. It says, verse 15, but the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who, uh, or so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence of uh, and lit, uh, from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. I love this because God is saying, I'm going to give you a lot more time that you might repent. And I love that. I, I always pray that for my family members and friends. God, <laughs> extend their lives that they might repent and turn to you. And then when they repent, then you can take them, Lord. You know, <laughs> but until then, please, Lord. Uh, the curse upon Cain was that Adam's curse would be amplified in regards to him. If bringing forth food from the earth would be hard for Adam, it would be impossible for Cain, who was a farmer. If Adam were driven from Eden, Cain would find no resting place on all the earth. Cain's response to his punishment was self-pity rather than repentance and an expression of remorse or over the extent of the iniquity. No one would be his keeper, sad to say. While there are a great many truths in this passage, one stands higher than others, And at least for me, in the life of Cain, I see a portrait of every lost sinner who has ever lived. Cain is the the archetype, the prototype of every sinner who would follow him in this world. When I look at Cain, I see the embodiment of Proverbs 16, 25, which says this, there is a way that seems right to men, but in the end it leads 
to death. What we see in Cain is what we see in every man, sin. And sin is killing mankind. And we shared that last week, that there's a greater virus than COVID, and it's death. And death is a result of punishment and the penalty for our sins. And sin is out of control. And the answer, of course, the cure for sin is found in the seed of the woman, the Redeemer, Jesus the Messiah. Amen? Amen. God set this plan all along that God would rescue mankind, and he knew it since the beginning of time. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, before all the properties of this earth was made, he was thinking of you. Amen? That's so glorious when you read that, Ephesians chapter 1. He had you in his mind before he even created the heavens and the earth and all the properties. Verse 17 says this, Cain laid with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Now, the, the first question is, is, where did his wife come from? Right? So that's, you know, Genesis 5 will tell us that. Genesis chapter 5 will say that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. Now, incest was allowed at that time because of the genetic breakdown wasn't like today. The genetic codes were very pure so that when they did get married, it didn't affect the children. Today, our genetic codes are breaking down. So if we were to marry you know, a relative that was a first cousin or even closer, our genetic, their bad genetics would match our bad genetics and then we, pro- then we produce these bad genetic kids and that ends up in a lot of trouble. So, so that's forbidden. Ever since Leviticus came out, they said no close relative marriage thing because the genetic codes have been mutated so bad that it's broken now. So marry somebody that's further than your second cousin or further. That's what scientists said today. Oh, you can marry your second cousin. No, thanks. And so anyways, <laughs> uh, anyways so the, that's the idea. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve had, you know, children. And so they, you know, by the way, the, the population... Uh, Henry Morris writes about the population. Uh, he writes that the, the average family has four children who later have families of their own, and that each set of parents live to see their grandchildren. By the way, they lived a long time, so this is a real conservative number. For these conditions, which are not all unreasonable, the population at the end of five generations, each generation would have been about 30 years or 35 years, uh, end of five generations, there would have been 96 people. After 10 generations, there would have been 3,070 people. After 15 generations, 98,300 people. After 20 generations, 3,150,000. After 30 generations, 3,220,000,000. Listen to the amount before the flood. In one more generation, 31, the total increase would have been 6.5 billion people. That's what they estimate was before the flood. Today we have close to 8 billion. We're at 7.6 or something like that. We're coming on 8 billion, and it's happening rapidly on planet Earth. And so um, there was a lot to choose from. There was cousins and, you know, and, and sisters to choose from. It sounds gross now, but it wasn't then. But it's gross now. But anyways, the, so that's, 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 that's quite funny. But anyways, it says there that Cain laid with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then uh, building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad was the father of Mahujel. And Mahujel was the father of Methushel. And Methushel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, of course. If you're going to sin, go all the way, right? You might as well have a lot of wives. Anyways, so this isn't proper, though. God never, never liked the idea of polygamists. He always said in, in the New Testament, Jesus makes it clear, one man, one woman. And then, you know, of course, this whole sin thing is, is marred here. And so he takes on two wives. By the way, whenever you read of the account of the godly men having two wives, there's always a lot of issues, a lot of negative problems, right? So that should help us in understanding that issue anyways uh, of two wives that just doesn't work out well. Lamech married two wives, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and, and uh, he was the father of all who played the harp and flute. 
Uh, Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. So uh, here, you know, we, we, we read here in chapter 4, 17 to 26, is the spread of civilization and sin. Cain prospered even though he rebelled against God. This is another indication of God's grace. Cain's descendant took uh, the lead in building cities, developing uh, music, advancing the agricultural, uh, ag- agriculture, uh, creating weapons, and spreading the civilization. However, the descendants of Seth, which we're going to read uh, later on here, the descendants of Seth made an even more important advance, the worship of God. And we'll see that in just a minute. Now let's go back to that Lamech guy. Because he's, he's, ro- he's off his rockers here. Listen to what he says here in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for, my wounding, for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. He's making his own rules. But he's copying God here. That's how far sin has crept into the heart of the man, the soul of man, and his thinking, making up his own laws, making up his own rule. And so it says, if, if Cain is avenged seven times, the Lamech 77 times, Adam laid with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Before the flood, we have a clear distortion of what God intended for marriage. We refer to this as polygamy, two wives. The New Testament and the words of Jesus make it clear that this is not God's plan to compound Lamech's sin. He brags of his murderous deeds. And it's, it's, it's quite chilling. I've killed a man for my wounding. The way Lamech boasts is about his murder of another and the way he believes he can promise a greater retribution than God shows sin is out of control. Things are going downhill fast. And this is just the chapter four. <laughs> when we get to chapter six, it is horrific. There's demon possession. There's guys, that, I mean, it says that no one's thinking of righteous acts, that everyone is continually thinking of evil. And we'll get to that before Pastor Ross comes. But chapter four, <laughs> chapter four shows the spread of sin from Adam's family to a larger society that his descendants produce. Not only did sin affect everyone, but people became increasingly more wicked as time passed. Surely we see that today, that even with the advancement of technology, we cannot curve killing and destruction. Isn't that quite shocking. I mean, that's, that blows my mind. We have such modern technology. We have ways to teach us societies. We can sit down and tell them how to drink and what to eat and what not to do and these, these things with one another. But it's turned for evil more than it is for good. It's, it's just mind-boggling. Human self-assertions leads to violence. Verse 1 through 16 shows that the fall affected Adam and Eve's children as well as themselves. Verse 17 26 trace what became of Cain and Seth and their descendants. Note that this chapter, this whole chapter begins and ends with the subject of worship. In verse 26, listen how it closes here. Seth also had a son and he named his, his, him Enos. Enos And at the time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, Seth, getting back to Seth here. Seth is, we would say, he's the one that's going to continue the bloodline that ultimately leads to Jesus Christ. He's the the scarlet thread, if you will, that goes from Genesis at this point all the way to Jesus Christ. It starts with Seth. And, of course, it goes to all those great men of God that we're going to read next week in chapter 5, down to Noah, down to Shem, down to Abraham, down to, you know, David. And of course, it goes down all the way to David to Jacob, the 12 tribes, then Judah. And then from the tribe of Judah comes our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this Seth is very important. Now, it says there, at the time men began to call on the name of the Lord. There's a couple of translations here 
that I wanted to read to you. The first one, and you could have both, uh, but the first one says this. There are some who translates this verse that men began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. This would indicate that people were defying God by attributing deity to themselves. If this is the case, this verse may refer to the heathen idolatry that started at this time. The desire of Adam and Eve to be as God, knowing good from evil, continued with their descendants. Now, I don't believe that that's what's being said here. I think the second translation is better. Uh, So there are others who see this a different way. Throughout the scripture, there is an emphasis on a godly line, which is Seth, uh, and the seed that would eventually lead to the Messiah. In this instant, Moses is emphasizing the godly line of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, though Cain and his ungodly line were banished from God's presence, but there remain people who continue to call on the name of the true God. The worship of the Lord was something established from the beginning. We refer to this as the first revival because it is the first indication of spiritual resurgence after a clear decline. Now, I really believe that this is speaking of the bloodline that's going to save mankind. And I think it's that God began to do a revival here in Genesis 4 at the decline of man because of what happens in Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 5, which we're going to read next week, is about all the deaths. So, and, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so, he died. And so it goes on like that for like, 30 verses, I don't know, a long time. And uh, I hope that doesn't bore you next service. But, but right in the middle, there's a guy by the name of Enoch. And it says this in chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. In Hebrews, it says this, that Enoch pleased God and he did not see death for God took him. You see, there's hope to be found even in darkness. In chapter 6, God says the whole world is continually thinking of evil. In fact, let me read it to you, verse 7 through 9. It says, So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I grieve that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Think about that because it's right at the flood scene where everybody's thinking evil and it's a darkened world, darkened environment. You talk about sin at its highest peak. Here it is before the flood, and yet there's one man that says, I'm going to walk against the flow. I'm going to walk in righteousness. I'm going to do what God said to do. I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to call upon the Lord. And God distributes grace upon Noah. I remember Elijah, the story in 1 Kings 19, 9-10. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one. <laughs> you know, he, he's like, I'm the only one, God. There's no more, you know, believers. There's nobody that loves you. I'm the only one. And God says, hey, come down. Listen to this. In verse 18, he says, yet, let me tell you something. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouth have not kissed him. I have a remnant that stands bold and courageous in these dark times. When I read Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, at the time men began to call in the name of the Lord, I think of you. That's why you're here. You're hearing from the Lord and you're calling upon his name. You're meeting with people who have the same heart, the same vision to call on the name of the Lord. Listen, you're here because you're going against the flow, right? You're here because you're hearing the name of God and you want to call upon him. We're just a heartbeat away from a great revival. 
Because it all starts with individuals like you and I. The Bible says we're the light of the world, right? But if we cover our light, what happens? You know, there's no light to be seen. But you are the light of the world. And so you come to meet with same like-minded people. And when that happens, revival begins to break out. Revival has to break out with us first, individually. And when that breaks out, then we come meet in a room like this, and we begin to worship God, and then it begins to affect our city, and then our county, then our country. Wouldn't you want to see that? I, I, I long for a revival in these latter days. You know, when I think of the Azusa, you know, in, in the early 1900s, the Azusa revival, and then I think of the Jesus movement in the 1960s, I love to have a revival like that here. I would like to see God do one more time with the U.S. Wouldn't you? I would, before he comes, Lord, one more time. I would like to see a, a breakout where we couldn't contain everybody in the churches in America one more time. And it starts with us calling on the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this amazing, amazing verse in the midst of this crazy, crazy darkness. Sin is running rampant. It's everywhere. It's disgusting. It's sick. And, and yet in the midst of it, Lord, you're doing a work. And there's revival. Men began to call upon your name, Lord Jesus. And that's what we pray, Lord. We pray for a revival within us. We pray for a hatred for sin. We pray that you would give us strength to say no to our flesh and say yes to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we're seeking you and calling upon your name, Lord Jesus, that you would begin that revival in our souls, Lord, and that it would begin here in this church and we'd all come united with the same heart, same mind, same vision, Lord, to glorify you. And then from it, Lord, it would result in a revival that would break out in the world, that would break out in America, Lord. Save America. Save the USA again, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, do that beautiful work of your spirit. We cry upon you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.